The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. And it won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father will you bow He can save you from the might of all your sin This is the fight in which He stands In perfect victory While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come From the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ can find peace in Him from the judgment that's to come. He is a shelter from the coming storm. He's the only shelter from the coming storm.
it is no longer a coming storm. The storm is now breaking over the entire Western world. It is a storm of judgment from the hand of Jesus, as outlined in the four horses of the apocalypse. Everything that we have known as normal is now being swept away. Inflation of our food price, inflation of our gasoline, inflation of every item necessary. We are watching as utter, vile wickedness in the turning of our children into wickedness. And the leadership of our nation seems to just go right along with destroying the lives of our children. I watch as sickness comes and it's lied about and the treatments are poison and will cause death. Nothing is the normal. The storm is breaking now on America. In the midst of that storm, there is a place of shelter. That place of shelter is Jesus Christ. And he is love. Nothing happens in this world without faith. Faith in the rhema word of Jesus. And it is hope that gives us the courage to endure many times over the last months. As I have cried out to the Lord, the only word I have received back is the word endure. It is hope that gives me the courage to endure. But it is love that makes the world go round. It is love that is the very description of the God who is bringing the four horses of the apocalypse across this wicked nation and the whole world. His judgment is now beginning to sweep the world. And in the end, Jesus Christ will rule. He will rule from Jerusalem. Read carefully the book of Revelation. But we need to address this subject of love. What do people mean when they say, I love you? It has so many different meanings that it has lost its meaning. Now, the word love is an old English word. The old English word is Leben. L-E-B-E-N. Leben. Leben means to live. So when the translators of the Old English wanted to translate agape, their best sense in the English language was to live. Life itself is a gift of love from the Almighty. To live. As you know, in this world, as the vile wickedness of our nation grows and intensifies as the Lord God of heaven opens the windows of heaven for judgment to be poured down on this nation. The issue is, how shall we live? And so preppers are making arrangements with 
the storage of food and gold and silver and everything that they think they will need to live. But I tell you now, to live is to love. And it is the love of Jesus that will see us through this storm, for he is the shelter from the storm. Now, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, walks through the gifts that the Spirit of God gives in order that the works of service can be done. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, that God's people could be equipped for their work of service. God dispenses these gifts by the Holy Spirit as he chooses because Jesus is the head of the church. And if you read carefully the book of Ephesians, it will tell you that the plan of heaven is that all things in heaven and earth be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And on this earth, he plans to do that and is doing it through the church. And Jesus himself is the head of the church, directing the parts. But as you know, the church today is in full rebellion with a great falling away. But he is calling for his remnant of believers who will repent, who will turn from their wickedness, and who will walk in his love. There's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for another. And Jesus Christ laid down his love for us. So I want to walk with you through the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and then we want to turn and go to 1 John, the third and fourth chapters. I hope we can get through all of that today. By many Christians, 1 Corinthians 13 is recognized as the greatest portion of all Scripture. Let's begin. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, have not life, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So if I do not have a heart filled with all that love is, and we'll look at that in just a moment, then I'm simply a mechanical piece clanging out my sounds. A gong with no meaning. And you will recognize that many times, probably you and I and others have said, I love you, and it had no meaning behind it. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy, that is, if I can tell you what is coming in the future, if I have an understanding, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. In other words, love is what makes the world go round. But it must be the love of the Lord Jesus, not a sentimental love, Not, may I say this, a selfish love. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. There's a question because at the time this was written, people were not burned to death. What was perhaps spoken of here is not a death in the flame, 
But some scholars believe that what's referred to here, if I give myself to the white-hot branding iron and I become a slave, but have not love, I gain nothing. There are people with a very generous heart who just want to give. But they want to give from a distance. They don't want to give up close. There's no personal connection to their giving. It's simply that they're altruistic. They have a giving heart. And the Apostle Paul is saying, if I give all that I have to the poor, if I give all that I have to help the homeless, but don't know the homeless, if I'm even willing to become a slave out of my altruistic beliefs and principles, but have not agape, have not that personal living relationship of compassion and mercy for another human being, that I am nothing. Now he begins to describe what love is, and this is where it gets juicy and exciting because this is a description of Jesus himself. God is love, First John tells us. The first indicator of love is patience. Why are we impatient? Well, when I'm impatient, it's because I think I have something else that's more important that I must take care of instead of that person. It's easy to become impatient when I, when I'm against the wall and I'm going to lose something very valuable if I am not impatient. Love is first and foremost patient. God has been so very, very patient with me. He has, time after time, righted my wrongs, cleaned up my mess, and said, now try again. He's brought me around time after time to the same task and the same test that I failed the last time. He's been exceedingly patient with me. The second, love is kind. So with that patience, there is a a great kindness. No harshness. No bitterness. Kindness. Requiring a pouring out like a pitcher pouring out water to the thirsty. So kindness is poured out by Jesus for you and for me. And we are called to pour out that kindness for others. Not being impatient, not having an agenda that they must meet, but being patient. This is particularly true in a husband-wife relationship where love is not impatient and love is kind. Not having an agenda of my own, but looking out for another. It does not envy This is a very painful one because when I feel that I don't have enough love, when I feel I have a 
an empty hole in my heart. And I see another person, and they seem to be loved more than I am. (laughs) If my brother Don is listening to this today, he'll laugh. I was raised in a, a small country church, and my brother Don was two years older than I was. And there was there were several girls in our church where we grew up. We didn't have sisters. And then even later, as we grew and matured, Don was always the one that the ladies loved. He was the, the strong guy. He was the man's man. And I would envy him. I would say to myself, why do the, why do the girls always love my brother and not me? What's wrong with me? And I'd be angry. I'd be envious. I wanted to be the one who was special. I wanted to be the one who was loved. So I would often try to even undercut my brother with the, with the ladies. They always went for the strong, handsome one. And I was not strong like he was, and I was not handsome like he is. <laughs> but you know what? I learned the very painful and difficult lesson that envy reflects not on the person I'm envious of, but it reflects on my own wicked heart. It reflects on my own lack. And I want to say it it reflects on my own lack of self-esteem, but I believe self-esteem is a sin. It reflected on my own lack of confidence in Jesus Christ. It reflected on my empty heart. Today, I'm not envious of anybody for any reason. Why? Because that empty space was filled by Jesus. His love fills my heart. How can I be envious of another person when Jesus has been so patient and so kind to me? How he has provided, how he has led me, how he has comforted my heart. How could I possibly be envious when I'm so bursting with his love and compassion? Oh, My brother, my sister, today, if you're envious of another person's talent, ability, or possession, recognize that it's about your own emptiness. And that emptiness, that that hole in your heart that you could drive a semi-truck through, that hole can only be filled by Jesus. When my late wife, Jan, was dying of cancer, we had some incredible conversations with each other. She said to me, Ray, I came into this marriage with a great, a great hole in my heart. A cold, hard hole where I was angry. I was angry about how I was treated in my first marriage. I was angry about his betrayal of me by having an affair with another woman. But over the years, as we have been married, and as you have led me to Jesus, and you have led me to read the scriptures, that ice in my heart has finally completely melted And my heart is now filled with the love of Jesus. And I'm ready to go meet him. And with tears, we just held each other. 
her heart had been healed. Some of you listening today still have that cold, icy hole in your heart. You don't yet know the full patience and kindness of Jesus toward you. But if you will go to the scriptures and you will listen and surround yourself with Christians who will love you, not unconditional love. Unconditional love is a lie. There's no such thing in the scripture as unconditional love. It is always unfailing love. It is love that is always there for you as you repent and you enter into Jesus. And then Paul says, love does not boast. It is not proud. Well, boasting and pride are lies to cover up the empty hole that's in your heart. A person who boasts is a person who is empty of love. A person who walks in pride is a person who does not know what love is. You cannot be filled with the love of God. Please listen. You cannot be filled with the humble love of Jesus Christ and think that you have anything to be proud about or to boast about. And then we come to verse 5. Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. This rudeness and this self-seeking, it describes a kind of behavior that we call love, but it's not true love. Let me describe it this way. A man marries a woman. And selfish love, a man will marry a woman for what he can get out of her. Good sex. A loyal puppy dog. Someone who will fit into his frame of reference and be candy on his arm to make people think he's someone important. Self-seeking love is selfish love. It's not true love. True love is, is patient and kind, doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. But selfish love is often very rude to the person they say they love. And it is selfish, it is self-seeking. Let me tell you how I've experienced people being with me as they say, Pastor, I love you. Oh, you say you love me. That's wonderful. The problem is, in your love for me, you will throw me under the bus the first opportunity you have to make yourself look better. And you will use the close relationship you think you have with me to make yourself look better in the eyes of others. And when that's not enough, then you will find ways to discredit me. That's selfish love. Love that does not build up. Love that tears down. Love that uses Love that is selfish, that is self-centered. It's hard to be even in a casual friendship with a person you cannot trust. If you share your heart with someone, and then later you anger them in some way, 
even unintentionally. They remember that weakness that you described, and they come back at you with that knife to belittle you, to make you seem less than. Now, I'm I'm speaking out of the experience of my own heart, where I have had selfish love toward another, and I have misused that love and tried to make myself look better, look important, look like I had it going, and I should be considered as someone to be taken seriously because I know. This kind of knowledge, when used for self, is always destructive to you and to them and to others. In the New Testament, it's called gossip. It is called slander. And it is among the sins. It is among the sins that we are to totally cast off. And then he goes on. It is not easily angered. I have in my past made God angry with me. I know what it is to have God angry. He is not easily angered. It takes a repeated violation of who he is before he will become angry with us. But every person who is self-seeking, who is rude, who is proud, who envies at some point, the Holy Spirit will be grieved and he will leave. And it will take much searching It will take much searching to once again find the Holy Spirit. Now, one of our our writers on the chat line says, it's best to marry a sick person and help make them well. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. I've never met a human being who was not in some manner sick. I've never met a whole person. And part of the joy of marriage is to help in the healing process of our partner's heart. It takes great tenderness and patience to even be trusted by your partner to do that that inner, very sensitive work, that surgical work of loving, of walking with, to build that trust that they would finally, they would finally say, yes, I trust you. And that trust can be destroyed in a moment by a self-pride. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Do you understand? It takes a great deal of courage to not keep a record of wrongs. It takes crucifixion. It takes taking up my cross and following Jesus. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. 
it always protects. Oh, this is Jesus. Jesus is always there to protect me. Jesus is always there to extend his trust to me. Jesus always hopes for the best in my response to him. And he always perseveres. He doesn't give up on me. And he will not give up on you. Can I tell you straight up? Jesus is love. The work of hell is a strange work for God. Because it's the devil who destroys who murders, who kills. But finally, when it's very clear that he cannot trust heaven with me, if I refuse the work of God in my heart, if I refuse the work of love in my spirit, the day will come when he will no longer persevere. Verse 8. Love never fails. Jesus never fails. If there is a failure, it is going to be on my side of the ledger, not on Jesus' side. He is going to do everything he can possibly do to win my heart for eternity. It takes a very stubborn rejection of the truth of God's love for you. It is not God who fails. I've had people ask me, Pastor, how do I know that God loves me? And I've said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only kind of a son. What Jesus did on the cross conclusively proves beyond the shadow of a doubt that God loves you. Will you believe that given that God loves you? Someone said to me, I've never known love from my family, my mother, my father. I've never known love. I've always experienced criticism and judgment. I've always been hurt. One person said my father was always so physically and emotionally abusive. How can I look at God as a father? We have to look at reality. Reality has to be historically true. God loves you. Doesn't matter if you feel loved, if you think you're loved. It doesn't matter if you've rejected him utterly and completely. God loves you. And he is doing everything in his power to call you out of the darkness into the light where you will see the fullness of the love of God poured out for you without measure. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. In other words, we'll come to a time when No prophet will be speaking about what's coming in the future. Prophecy fails. They'll cease. Tongues, they'll be stilled. Knowledge, it will pass away. Verse 9. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, when maturity comes, the imperfect disappears or the immature disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. 
I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. (laughs) I remember when I was just a boy. We lived out on Slackwater Bridge Road. It was a dirt road out through the country. And there was a family that we dearly loved in the church. Mike Medvey was the father and his precious wife, and they had a little daughter, Mimi. They would come over to the house on a on a Saturday evening, and we would play games. Dominoes, battleships. And as a child, I used to love that time because I knew it was a time when Dad would pop the popcorn, and we might even have some ice cream. Now, that was a super special treat. And the Medvies wouldn't be there. And I'd say, Daddy, where are the the Medvies? They said they were coming tonight. And Daddy would say, be patient, Ray. Well, a child doesn't know how to be patient. He wants it right now. And so I'd go to the window and I'd stand at the window and I'd look out into the dark, waiting for car lights to come on that back country road. There were not many cars that passed that, that dark country road. And I'd see the lights way, way off. And I'd, I'd start to shout, the medveds are coming. The medveds are coming. Yes, I wanted them to come, but I also wanted the popcorn to come. And I wanted the ice cream treat to come or the, the cookies to come. I'm a cookie monster, especially oatmeal cookies, homemade or chocolate chip cookies. Well, as a child, I was very impatient. Daddy, I can't wait for them. Where are they? Why aren't they here? The mark of a child is that they're self-centered. They want what they want when they want it. And they expect it now, not later. Daddy, I have to have it now. No, just be patient, Raymond. So dad is sitting on the chair out in the garage or outside on a warm summer night. And he's cranking the crank on the freezer making the homemade ice cream that has a a peppermint stick in it to give it a special flavor and a special color. I love peppermint ice cream. And I'd find little broken pieces of peppermint in that ice cream, and I love that. Daddy, when's the ice cream going to be done? Or we'd be driving somewhere in the car, and I'd say, Daddy, are we almost there? Are we there yet, Daddy? When are we going to get there? Dad? Why is it taking us so long tonight, Daddy? Daddy would say, Raymond, we'll get there when we get there. Well, I didn't like that answer. A child is very self-centered and very impatient and wants what it wants now. When I was a child, I talked like a child. Daddy, make Don give me that toy. He's had it for 30 minutes and it's my turn and he won't give it to me. Oh, my. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. In other words, when I became a man of God, impatience was gone. Selfish love was gone. Envy was gone. Boasting was gone. Pride had no place. Rudeness was gone. 
I no longer was concerned first and foremost about me and what I wanted. Instead, I was, as a man, protective of my wife and protective of others, protective of the church, protective of Jesus. Are you protective of Jesus? Or do you just say whatever happens to enter your mind and discourage other people in their walk with Jesus because you're mad that you haven't gotten something? It's time to give up childish ways. It's time to guard your tongue. One person I know has absolutely no boundaries and just spits out whatever the latest thing is they're thinking about, even though it's utterly embarrassing to them and to others. Childishness. He says, when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Well, in that day, they didn't have mirrors like we do today. They had polished metal mirrors, and they gave a a strange look, a bent look or a, a shadowy look. There was not the clarity. There was not the crystal clearness. Now we see but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. It is the constant work of the Christian to make known Jesus Christ to the world. And we can only share with the world, not our knowledge, even though that's important. But what's so vital that we share with the world is what we know, what we have experienced in our inner being with this man called Jesus for the healing of their hearts. You can convince a man of your intellectual argument. But to heal that heart... You must know them, and you must share with them what Jesus Christ you know. Now, I only know Jesus in part. I've not sat and talked with Jesus. I I wish I could just sit down and have a long conversation with Jesus. The closest I come to that is intense prayer and It's hard to hear Jesus talking when he's not talking, and often he doesn't speak. When he does, it's as from behind a curtain. One of the greatest pains of my heart that has caused me to grow up faster than any other single thing is the silence of God. I want to know right now, Jesus. Tell me now, Jesus. Silence. Silence. We learn more in silence than any other time. When we come to pray, we need to take time. Many of you, when you pray, you spit out a list of things you want from God. You tell God what you want what you want and what you need without any real expectation you're going to get it because Jesus didn't answer you back. You have not learned to pray through to victory and wait upon the Lord. Moses was called up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and the other commands of God. God called him up on that mountain. So Moses climbs up the mountain. He gets up to the top where he was to speak with God, and God is not there. The scriptures tell us that he sat for one week 
on top of that mountain before God finally came and spoke with him. Probably after the first 15 or 20 minutes, many of us would have been saying, where is God? Why isn't he talking to me? I climbed all the way up here to talk with him. Where is God? He didn't bring a sleeping bag with him. He had his cloak, but he didn't have any night clothes. He didn't have any food. He probably didn't have any water. So he sits waiting for God to speak. And this is the God who spoke to him and caused him to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. God was on a personal term with Moses, but God let Moses sit for one week waiting on him. How long would you have waited? 24 hours? I doubt it. It's a good thing to wait on God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. They follow me. My brother, my sister, do you know how to wait on God? We only know in part. But then I shall fully know, for I shall see him face to face. Now, there are three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is patient and kind. Love is Jesus. God is love. God is not judgment. God is not violence. God is not a murder. God is love. Unfailing love. Now, we didn't get to the passages in 1 John. We'll do that next week. But I want you to look very carefully at whether you're immature as a child, whether you're willing to wait upon God, whether you're impatient and rude and angry, or whether you have become a man or a woman and have put away childish ways. Are you envious? Or is that cold, icy heart been filled by the love and compassion and mercy of Jesus Christ? Does the Holy Spirit dwell in you fully? Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. I hope this has been helpful. I invite you to give as the Holy Spirit prompts you to give. I need your help to cover the broadcast for the month of July. You can go to our YouTube, and there you can find a way to give. Or you can write to me. I'd love to hear from you. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel. I'm Pastor Ray. National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. God bless you, my brother, with the love of Jesus Christ. May his love fill your heart and heal your wounds. God bless you. I do love you.